Hello, welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I am the lead pastor at Asbury. We hope this podcast will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and that it will be entertaining for you as well. So, let's dive in. Now, we have, I, I told you last week we were wrapping up Jeremiah. We are going to look this week at mostly Ezekiel, but we'll maybe touch on Lamentations a little bit. Um, lamenta- we'll, we'll start with Lamentations. Let's just do that right off the bat. Lamentations is written, most likely, by Jeremiah. So remember that Jeremiah, who was not a bullfrog, in case you're wondering, Jeremiah, uh, he, he lives through the exile, in, uh, well, not just the exile of Jerusalem, he lives through the, uh, the fall of Jerusalem. He is in the city when the Babylonians capture it. And most of us living in, in our very comfortable lives here in the States, we, we would struggle quite a bit to understand the horror and the brutality of what the fall of an ancient city was like. People who are living in, uh, in the Ukraine, people who are living in Gaza right now, they might have a glimpse. But in all honesty, even then, um, they probably don't quite know. And maybe Ukrainians more so than Gazans. Because the, the Israeli Defense Force is pretty good about following um, the international laws of war. The Russians are not. Um, there were really no such laws in the ancient world. The general, the, the general rule was, and this, this is true in the ancient world, by the way, it's also true up through the medieval world, which explains a lot of what happens in the Crusades. Um, the general rule was, if you laid siege to a city, and the city surrendered without a fight, or without making you come through the walls to take it down, um, then you would be merciful to the inhabitants of the city. Okay, uh, You would spare the lives of the people who live there. You would not spare the lives of the leaders of the city, which explains why so often the city did not surrender. Um, and if, you, if the city doesn't surrender and you have to take it by force, um, the general rule is... Everyone inside the city is slaughtered. I mean, the, the rule is if the soldiers have to go in and take and get over the walls or take down the walls and take the city by force, then the invading army will do whatever it wants to the people in the city. And part of the reason for this is um, taking an ancient city by force is an extreme endeavor. It takes years, usually, uh, to... You know, most of these cities, they have, you know, storehouses for food inside them. They have uh, their own water wells, their own water supplies. So they can close their gates and sit and wait for years while you lay siege to them. Um, and quite often, you can't lay siege to them throughout the entire year because a lot of your soldiers have to go back to their farms because they're not full-time soldiers. And so you can only lay siege to them when it's not time... You know, so, um, so laying, you know, Jerusalem is under siege for like two years, maybe more. 
before the Babylonians starting to break the walls. And the other issue, of course, is actually getting through the walls is difficult because even with all the the big, you know, if you watch movies, it makes it look like those, you know, every every ancient army has these big siege weapons that throw massive rocks that just crumble the walls immediately. That's not how it works. Uh, it, it takes a while for them to get through the walls of an ancient city because, of course, one, they're doing it under attack because the defenders on the walls are fighting them, but also none of the technology they had at the time could really just tear down a wall in one swift go. It takes a long time. And so part of part of the reason that the fall of a city was so brutal is it's a terror tactic, right? It, it's The idea is you want to encourage most cities to surrender without a fight by making their fate so horrifying if the siege goes on for too long that they're too afraid to fight if you lay siege to the city. The other part of it is these soldiers are tired and angry and frustrated and they have a lot of rage to vent. And so when an invading army breaches the city walls, they're going to kill any man they see, they're going to rape any woman they see and likely kill her after that. They're going to probably kill a lot of the children they're going to enslave those they don't kill. It's going to be the level of horror and violence and brutality, things that you and I can't really comprehend, things that we will never have to see. Um, and Jeremiah sees all that. I mean, he's in Jerusalem when it falls. He sees horrors that you and I, we, we will never have to witness in our lifetime, thanks be to God. So he writes Lamentations about, I mean, it's about the fall of Jerusalem, and it's about the exile. And it's not a popular book, I don't think. I think that's a pretty easy thing to say. Um, but I do think it's an important book. One, I think it's important to read through his grief. Because I think it's good for us to, um, I think it's good for us to deal with that. I think it's good for us to see how he not only goes through his grief, but then how he, um, even in the midst of his grief, even in the midst of all this horror, all this, I mean, it's a crisis of faith that he has, really. Um, you also see him, in the middle of all that, have faith. And look, there are some horrible things he sees, right? The city is under siege for so long, People are killing and eating their own children. Here in, in Lamentations 2, verse 20, should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? They're eating their children. They're so desperate, they are killing and eating their children. He witnesses that. But then, then, you're going to, this will be familiar to you, Lamentations 3, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's right. That hymn, that great, beautiful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that comes from the book of Lamentations. It's almost a word-for-word -word quote of these passages. So, in the middle of lamenting, Jeremiah praises God for his faithfulness. We, we have kind of forgotten how to lament. 
And uh, I think it's an important skill. It's an important skill to learn to lament. Because lamenting is praying to God and, and expressing our dissatisfaction with the state of the world. Expressing our grief over its fallenness. There are psalms of lament. A number of the psalms are psalms of lament. If you want uh, some, if you want to read a modern lament, there is a, there is a great, great book of poems. It's called "We Sang a Dirge." It's by a man named Lo Alamon. Lo L O, and then Alamon A L A M A N. You can find it on Seedbed.com. Uh, we sang a dirge, and it's um, largely dealing with racial issues in the United States, which I know is a hot topic for some, but I would highly encourage you to read it um, because it's just amazing. It's incredibly beautiful uh, and moving and deep, and it will give you a good example of what it looks like to practice lament in the modern world, and, and frankly... It'll give you a good idea. It'll expose you to the writings and the speakings of a modern-day prophet. Uh, if there's anyone who embodies the office of the prophet in the modern world, it's him. So check that out. Uh, we sang a dirge. Now let's move on to Ezekiel. I think Ezekiel is my favorite of the prophets, and largely because he doesn't write in poetry. Uh, I know some people love poetry. I'm and I know I just recommended you a book of poems. I'm not a huge poetry guy. Um, and so, you know, reading... So, you know, Isaiah, as, much, as beautiful as Isaiah is, as much as Isaiah is vital to our theology and our understanding of, of our God, um, I, like, I rank the major prophets Ezekiel first, Jeremiah second, Isaiah third, in terms of how much I like to read them. Um, I'm, I'm weird that way. Most people like Isaiah the best. Um, and, and in terms of his importance to our theology and our doctrine, he's far and away the most important. Uh, I like Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel is the weirdest of the prophets. He has these weird, weird visions. And I, I, if you heard me preach on Sunday, I pointed out, you know, Jeremiah, very often he's not so much having visions as he's just, he's observing the world around him and connecting dots, right? He's, um, he's responding to the impulses of the Holy Spirit and he's seeing things around him in his world and he is connecting dots. And, and, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel is having weird visions. I mean, he is seeing some things. Very often, these are probably in the form of dreams, but not always. Sometimes they're waking visions. And some people, by the way, still have these. Um, I, I have not, I have not personally encountered someone who has ha had a vision, or at least has told me they had a vision. But I, I have colleagues in the ministry who have people who have shared those sorts of visions with them, and. Um, so it, it still happens today. It's not. This is not a very common way for God to communicate with us in my experience, but it does happen. So Ezekiel is just weird. Now Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel is in exile, and you've got to remember there are two waves of exiles spaced about ten years apart. So the first wave, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he takes away King Jehoiakim, and he takes away like the no, the nobility. He takes away a lot of the priests a lot of the wealthy people, the ruling class, and installs a puppet government. 
and it's when when Jerusalem falls the the event that Jeremiah is lamenting that's the second wave that's 10 years after the first wave of exiles is carried off and that's under king Zedekiah who was a puppet king who decided to try and cut the puppet strings and it doesn't work Ezekiel is part of that first wave of exiles he is likely one of the he may have been one of the temple priests. He may have just been one of the prophets. It's not. I, I, I'm not clear on that. Um, but he is. Um, he is one of the first wave of exile. So, so he is in Babylon. Jerusalem is still standing. The temple is still there. Jeremiah is still preaching to the people. There are the egg. The the full exile has not begun. And a lot of what he is writing is meant to be communicated back to the people in Jerusalem. But not all of it. Uh, he's also going to talk to the people in exile. And um, this is, of course, where we get like the, the really full description of angels. right? It's, in, uh, it's here in Ezekiel 1. Um, this is, I'm not going to go, it's, it's, right, you've got this crazy experience of these multi-headed creatures with lion's heads and, and eagle's heads and human heads, and it's just insane. But Ezekiel has, to me, some of the best images that we, we feel, we find anywhere in the scriptures. Um, he has here in verse 5, the warning about Jerusalem being destroyed. Uh, he also has some of the weirdest stuff. Like he's called to, God tells him, use a sword. Use that sword to shave all the hair off your head and all, and shave off your beard. And then you're going to go and you're going to throw the hair around in the city and tell people this is this is what God's going to do to Jerusalem. Really funny image in my mind. Um, probably not so funny to them. But, you know, I think it's hilarious. Um, so Ezekiel has like these uh, messages where he, like these... Basically, they are they are illustrations for the sermons he's preaching, but they're wild. Um, so as you read it, just know that Ezekiel is doing some weird stuff. In chapter 10, he's going to tell people he has this vision of the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. And that's really significant. It's, it's significant because it never comes back. The presence of God does not return to Israel until Jesus is born. This is a really important theme for us to understand if we want to understand the world that Jesus was born into because, um, you know, the, the, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all understood that the glory of the Lord had not returned. They could read their own books and see that in, in the olden days there had been the, you could look at the temple and you could see at the temple, the physical manifestations of God's presence. They could, they could tell, they knew that when the temple was rebuilt, the glory of the Lord did not return to it the way it did the first time it was built. And so they believe that even though they have physically returned to the promised land, the exile is not over because they are still not dwelling in the presence of God. And so what the Pharisees are doing in Jesus' time is they are teaching that the way to end the exile, the way to bring about the return of the Messiah and the end of the exile, is to follow the Torah perfectly. 
That's why they are so insistent about it. And they are convinced, by the way, that right around the time Jesus is born is when it's all supposed to happen. Because what they do is they go back to the text and they reinterpret the 70 years of exile as 70 weeks of years. So 70 times 7. 490 years. Which would be right about the time that Jesus was on the earth. So the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. Ezekiel gives us that. And when Jesus is born, everyone, everyone who is paying attention to the teachings of the Pharisees is looking for the birth of the Messiah, is looking for the glorious presence of God to return to the temple. Some of them recognize that this has happened in the body of Jesus. Some of them don't. Important. This is also, Ezekiel is the one with the great image of the, the valley of dry bones, right? Where uh, God says to him, son of man, can these bones live? Uh, it's this incredible image of, now it's, it's this like twofold image because one, it's talking about um, the restoration of Israel, but it's also talking about the resurrection power of our Lord. Trying to find what I really want to. And then you have um, the great temple vision, which it's like a multi chapter thing. It's in the 40s of Ezekiel. And this is a true eschatological vision. Eschatological means it deals with the end times, it's a vision of what God is going to do with the culmination of all things. And it's this vision of Really not the temple as it used to be, but the temple as it's going to be, with the river of life flowing out of the temple and growing wider and deeper the farther away from the temple it gets. And it's lined with these trees, which are providing fruit for food and the leaves for healing. And it's the water of life going everywhere. It's an incredible vision. Absolutely astounding. And it takes multiple chapters to get through. Um, but it's this magnificent vision of essentially the temple of God and the river of life which flows from it, going out into all creation. And so Ezekiel becomes this very, very hopeful book, where even though he is writing from exile, God is revealing to him that the day will come when the water of life is going to flow from God's temple out into all the world. we then learn in the New Testament uh -huh. we learn first that Jesus is the new temple he makes that very clear he identifies himself as the new temple over and over again Jesus is the new temple and when he sends the Holy Spirit we become the new temple the, the river of the water of life is meant to be flowing through us, out into the world, providing healing to all the world. You see now why it's always important to read both the Old and New Testament, because the, the New Testament gives us an ability to take this incredible, masterful prophecy from Ezekiel 
and tie it into our lives. We are the river of the water of life. It is flowing through us into all the world. We bring God's healing into the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Which means if we're not doing that, we have a problem. If we are damming up the river of life, we've got a problem. See, this is why we have to work to overcome our sin. It's not just about us. It's not just about making sure we are right with God. It's about not impeding the flow of the river of life. Everyone, every time we sin, we're adding another rock to the dam. And we're blocking the flow. Do not block the flow of the river of life. That's all for this week, folks. Next week is, of course, Thanksgiving. There will be no podcast next week. We'll be back in two weeks, and I'll be doing something Advent-y. Until then, God bless.